event and speaking after lunch is always a challenge. And uh, I'm glad that you were here. I'm glad they had coffee. Uh, yesterday, who was in here yesterday? It was three degrees shy of eternal torment here yesterday. It was hot. And they have found the air, okay? And so I understand that you have to snuggle. <laughs> just, uh, just snuggling class, I think what Lonnie's teaching over today, right? Lonnie's teaching on sex. Let's not do that here. <laughs> Come on in, guys. Let's go ahead and get talking. Exactly. Let's go ahead and get started. Yesterday we started talking about developing a vision for youth ministry. And the thing I said, in order, uh, we have to have a vision that meets our mission. And we have to have a mission and decide who we want our kids to become. That's really what developing a vision is. Who do we want our kids to become? And what I said was there's only been one perfect child ever. Even though you probably think yours is, they're not. Okay? There's only one perfect child ever, and it was Jesus. And when we read about Jesus, we read about his maturity. Uh, we don't have a lot about Jesus. We have his birth, we have him at age 12, and then we pick him up again about age 30. But he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I personally think that's a pretty great parenting plan. But I also think it works for youth ministry. And when I began youth ministry, it was David Baker in the youth minister's class. He shared this with us, and it happened to stick with me. It's something I heard. So yesterday we talked about that we want to do things in a vision to help our children grow in wisdom. We want them to help them to be better decision makers. We want to help them to know God better. We want them to grow in stature. And what we talked about there is we want them to grow in maturity. Age appropriateness. If you heard John Davis' lecture on a curriculum for different ages, I think he talked about that, what different things we want at different ages. And we finished yesterday, we talked about we want them to grow in favor with God. And basically we want them to have a, a relationship with God that's very, very powerful. And that comes from them doing the spiritual disciplines, getting in contact with God's Word, praying, allowing Him to dictate their life. And the final thing we didn't get to is we want to grow in favor with man. And I want to cover this, then we'll get into today's subject. I think one of the great influences we have right now and uh, has been Kid President. I think that's been a really neat thing to see Robbie Novak and his little pep talk for teachers be seen over 30 million times. And he has a little statement, and it's treat everybody like it's their birthday. We laugh at that, but you realize what that is? I talked to Brad back and forth about this. I said, Brad, isn't this, isn't this pretty much a five-year-old version of what the golden rule is? Treat other people the way you want to be treated. He said, actually, that's how they came up with that. He said, when they were trying to express to uh, Robbie and his, his sister uh, what Jesus meant by the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated, that is what they determined to do. Won't you treat other people like it's their birthday? Think about that for a little kid. We want to teach young people to do what? Treat other people well. Ephesians 4.32, we want them to grow how? In kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Just as Christ forgave you. Youth ministry is filled with drama. You know that, right? Uh, we, it is one of those things that... Uh, you know, I, I felt like if, if drama could fly, 
When my when I was a youth minister, I felt like an air traffic controller. All right. I feel like it was flying by me all the time and trying to sit there and get it to land here and land there and do all it never stopped. And it comes back to Christ. We start with kindness, we start with compassion. That compassion helps people to empathize and to, to consider other people, and we do what? We forget. We're going to grow in favor with man, we're going to learn how to serve people. I found this online when I was preparing a sermon a few months ago. It, it really just spoke very well to me. What do we teach our kids? Find out what you do well. Find what the world needs. And do it. Because every kid you have in your group, every person in your church, has abilities that are unique and special to them. And if they're growing in favor with God, they will see their desire to grow in favor with man and to try to reach out to them and make a difference to them. Find what they do well. Find what the world needs. And do that. As we painted houses for elderly people, uh, we had a kid who would volunteer to do everything but wasn't really good at anything much. <laughs> that kid goes to your church too, huh? That's it's amazing. Uh, uh, why, they, I'm going to leave singing a lot too. I don't know why. Uh, just kidding. Um, but we had one kid and they said, I want to paint, we were painting this person's house. So like, I want to paint this person's door. I didn't know you could do that to a door with one color paint. <laughs> I mean, I had no clue you could make a door look that bad with one color paint. And she was taking a college class. She goes, I've got to go to school. And I was like, good. Okay. And she left. And we had a girl who was an artist, who is an artist today, who has like a PhD now in art therapy, helping children work out their problems through art. And as soon as the other girl passed away, she worked out my therapy and problems through art. <laughs> and she painted that door. And it looked great. What's funny is the girl who left thought that's how it turned out when she came back the next day. <laughs> I'm just thankful for only one door on the house. Okay, That, that, that helps us that we had to paint. But if we're going to help them grow in, in favor with man, we're going to have to show them and let them know that whatever God has given them to do, they need to use it to bless this world. Let's move on. Assessment, planning, and communication. Again, mission and vision, they have to go together. Let's do communication just for a minute. Uh, what is your least favorite part of Sunday morning worship? Announcements, thank you. <laughs> I hate announcements. They wear me out. Here's why I dislike them. There's a lot of reasons. One, I don't even know about Sister Lucy's hemorrhoids. I really don't. <laughs> we can just pray that she's having problems. Is that okay? I don't need to know everything about it. I, I don't. I, we violate a HIPAA law every Sunday. I don't know about that. Y'all heard Matt Vegas speak. We're guilty of that, okay? Here's the thing. We've already put announcements in the bull. We've already run them in a scroll behind the, all morning. They've already made them in the Bible class. And now we've got to get up and say them again every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, the same thing. But in youth ministry, we even have to do it more. It's very, very difficult. As one person said, first thing, you can't say it enough. You can't say enough. Sometimes I think we train kids not to listen. Because they know you'll say it again. 
a friend of mine's a youth minister in Paducah, Kentucky. His name's Jason Whitley. Jason Whitley. And uh, I always cut up with him. He said, we came up with some rules in our youth group. If I ever say, turn to this page in the Bible, and they say, what page did you say turn to? They owe me 10 push-ups or 20 sit-ups. Because you know what? They heard what you said. Because if I ever said, what did I say? They can tell you. So his youth group walked around like this. They were all, <laughs> all getting stabbed. He said, he said, if we talk bad about anybody, if anybody slams somebody else, he said, I had to make myself do it too. Because there's times that I decided to cream one of them verbally, said something smart, there I was. It's frustrating, but you got to make sure they hear it. Communicating with kids and parents, you can't say enough. Secondly, information trumps flair. Sometimes you put together some awesome PowerPoint presentation to announce something, and they remember the presentation, but don't remember the information. They need to know whatever's happening and when it's happening. Third, embrace multiple forms of communication. How do you communicate with your kids right now? What's the easiest way to get to them? Text, text message. Find you a text message service. You'll know, find you uh, some type of thing, maybe where you can do group messages that allow you to do that and do that. I know, I know some youth ministers set up a Twitter account just for their youth, youth group. Kids subscribe to it. They can get stuff sent out. Maybe text message. But uh, email for a teenager, pretty much non-existent. I don't like reading my emails. And you may not either because you get flooded with so many of them. I find it interesting. When I was a kid, if the phone rang in my house, you know what everybody did? Nearly tripped each other to get to the phone. Because answering the phone was a big deal. If somebody called me this weekend, I would make a decision if I actually even wanted to answer or not. You, you go, I don't know, man. <laughs> I know I call a lot of you and you let it go to voicemail, so I know, I know you do that to me too. But embrace multiple forms of communication. Sometimes you print stuff off, sometimes you text it, sometimes you email it. Make sure you use different forms of communication. Always evaluate what you're doing and get the, get the information you need out there in the fewest words possible. Is it Twitter or 146 characters? Is that what it is? 140 characters. Learn how to say what you need to say in as few words as possible. Pretty much every youth trip I did, I did a who, what, when, where, how, when, listed it all out, everything put it in the bulletin, put it in the kid's hand, and let them know, okay? Um, so it's important that they know, also, when in doubt, pick up the phone and actually call somebody. Some of them will be surprised to get your call, and will be excited that you called them. But when I think about communicating, let people know what you're doing. Also in this, communicate your vision. This is a different thing in sense. Every year, I preached a sermon and told the church what our youth ministry was about. And I had a theme statement, if you will. I had a, a thing of what I believed my job was. And I said it every year. Every year I told them, I am not a policeman. I am not a maid, and I'm not a babysitter. If your kids mess up and you're present, it's your job to deal with them. 
I'm not a maid. I'm not cleaning up after your kids. I have a hard enough cleaning up after myself. You know? Today, there's somebody cleaning my house for me at, at home. I have a, a, a high school kid who would like to make some extra money. They're cleaning for me. I'm paying them to do it because I'm down here. So I can go home to a clean house. I'm not going to clean up after yours. If I pay somebody to clean up mine, I'm not cleaning up after your kids. <laughs> it's not happening. I'm not going to do that. And I'm not a babysitter. I'm not a drop-off service. I expect you to be involved in ministry. And that was something I said the first night they hired me at the first meeting. And it was funny watching parents' faces change because you realize every one of them had a different view of what my job was. And sort of setting it out that that's what it was and telling them that my job here, what I believe my job is, is to help your child get to heaven. That's who I am. That's what I'm doing. And everything we do is hopefully to try to do that. You talk about how to assess what you do. Every time you have an event, you may have seen this, the SWAT method. Not SWAT like Lonnie will talk about SWAT. This is different. Go through your strengths. What just happened? Was it good? Your weaknesses? How could it have been better? Opportunities to grow? What came from it? And threats? What can demolish what you're doing? If you'll do this after every event you have, it'll help you out. It'll help you to do it better. I'll promise you the board that's in charge of this will sit down when this is done, and they will basically go through this. What was good about this weekend? What were some weaknesses we saw? What are some opportunities we see to make this thing better? What are some threats? If we do not address, can destroy what we're doing. Guys, not only do we need to do this with our ministry, we need to be willing to do this with ourselves. And here's how you're going to be able to do this. When I first started preaching, uh, after I got out of youth ministry and went to preaching, uh, I called some preachers and said, what do I need to know? Because I'm about to enter a different world, a world I've never been in. I've been to youth ministry, never been to pulpit ministry, what I need to know. And I talked to Aubrey Johnson a whole lot through that process. He helped me through that process. He said, Craig, there's two questions you need to ask. You need to find people in the congregation that you trust that will be honest with you and ask them, number one, how am I doing? And then ask them, what am I missing? I'll tell you, many times they'll say, fine. If you'll ask, what am I missing? They may come up with something. Because missing means it's not intentional, right? It sort of gives them an out to say, have you thought about this? You know, I have an incredible secretary at Spring Hill. And I, I, I talked to her when I first got there. I said, I need you to keep me out of trouble. You know who needs to be visited. Why? Because they call and talk to you. You know some things that's going on I'm not. And so she helped me. She would tell me that this was going on because some of these little old ladies wouldn't talk to anybody but her. And they could, she could help me out a lot. But what am I missing is a huge question. Because in ministry, uh, many of us have our own style of youth ministry. Uh, some of us are program oriented. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Some of us are ministry oriented. Uh, some of us are great in one-on-one -on -one and not great in group settings. Some of us are great organizational communicators. And when it comes to one-on-one -on -one ministry, that's not necessarily our strength. And you realize, okay, what am I missing? Because once you know what you're missing, then you know 
and you have a direction of what you need to be taken care of. You may be overlooking somebody. And that's a great question. You know, am I overlooking somebody? Is there somebody that I, I'm not paying attention to? Is there something, uh, a lot of times, uh, I interviewed with a congregation one time to be their youth minister, and they talked to me two hours about how much I love sports. I never got a Bible question. I never had a doctrinal question. never had a question. It was all, do you like sports and are you good at it? Okay? I never realized uh, being a, a backup tackle on a state championship runner-up team in football in Tennessee could help me get a youth minister job. But that was what every question was about. But a lot of us are sports-minded. Sometimes we gear our youth ministries, and if a kid doesn't like sports, they're out of luck. Sometimes we get our youth ministries where if a kid likes sports, they're out of luck. That question, what am I missing, will help you assist that. You need to go through and look at what kids in your church are active and not. And, and sometimes kids aren't active and they're okay. Do you know a kid doesn't have to be a part of your youth group to go to heaven? That hurts. It bothers me that a kid doesn't need me to go to heaven. It bothered me so much as a youth minister. They have a kid, and women, he really, and I, two of the best kids that ever come through uh, our congregation, I was close with. I, I think I mentored with them, but they weren't going on a youth trip if they had to. They're faithful today. They uh, are incredible leaders in their home and in the church. That's okay. But when you think about what they're missing, start looking, all right, the kids who aren't active. Do they all fit in a similar profile? Is there an area that you're overlooking in your ministry? Some, some ministries are totally geared toward guys. You don't do a lot for your girls. <clears throat> and some are vice versa. And asking that question, how do we assess? Again, what we said yesterday is, the way we plan our youth ministry has to be we must plan for who we want our kids to become. I talked just for a minute yesterday. I read a book by Bill Hybels recently uh, called Simplify. And he said years ago that his daytimer schedule every day had a big to-do list. He said he started finding out his life was just one big to-do list. And he started realizing that list was controlling him instead of him controlling the list. So he decided in his life what he wanted to do was he was going to take his schedule and put on it who he wanted to become. He said, I want to be a good dad. And so instead of like a lot of preachers who say, I'm going to give one night a week to my family, he said, I'm giving four. So he took four nights a week and he wrote down family, 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 family. He said, I need to be healthier. I'm not healthy. I need to work out certain days. I, I need to have a devotional life and I need to block out that part of my life every day. I, I want to do these. I want to continue my... I want to, uh, do a continuing education. I need to write out who I want to become. Can I tell you, when you look at your youth calendar, it needs to be set up as who you want your young people to become. Decide in your head who you want these kids to be and plan backwards. And what needs to happen today for them to become that. Some of you may uh, have a, a great uh, retirement plan set up. Uh, I do. It's called Heaven. Okay, <laughs> heaven's one, and uh, the other is I'd like to join the uh, 
Champions Tour in golf. I've got to save about two strokes a year off my game. From now, from now I'm 50 uh, to be there. Probably two and a half strokes, haven't played in a while. Uh, probably not going to happen. But they say if you want a certain amount of retirement, you come up with that amount. Say, I want a million five in the bank when I retire. Then you start, all right, what do I have to do today to start that, for that to happen? You need to deceive what do you want your children to look like. As Lonnie would say, spiritually self-reliant. And you need to say, okay, for that to happen, I need to schedule my schedule for them with things that help them to do that. Again, we have to have a mission and a vision that match together. And, and if our, our and, and what's tough is, I want us to go through this, is we're thinking about Jesus growing wisdom statue, favor God and man, how do we measure success in our ministries? Okay, I don't know if there's any elders in here. Many times how do elders manage success in youth ministry? Numbers. Okay. Numbers. And uh, what about deacons? Sometimes it's happiness maybe of the kids or what they see as a kid being happy. Okay. That's it. Happiness. Sometimes numbers. Sometimes it's programs. I heard somebody say. What about you committed? That I threw under the bus yesterday. I'll be nicer today. Go ahead. How do, how do they measure? Yeah. How many activities you got? How do parents evaluate your youth ministry? Their kids. What you're doing for their people. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes how much it's going to cost. Sometimes, what are you doing for my child? Is my kid a Christian or not? Is my kid a Christian or not? Because if my kid walks away from God, it ain't my fault. I think a lot of parents look at you as the babysitter. Oh, yeah. Are you keeping my kid off the streets on Friday night? Yes. I don't care what you're doing as long as you keep him off the streets Friday night. Stuff I said in youth ministry that I'm sort of can't believe I said. Y'all probably go, I believe you said it. I told parents one time, I said, it's not my job to give your kids something to do besides sin. If I pre-thought it out, I'd never said it. But it just happened. And it's one of those like, because it's not. How the kids assess your youth ministry? It's fun. Are there friends there? Are my friends there? Are my friends there? If they like you or not. Oh yeah. And what determines if they like you or not? How fun you make it? How fun you Fun. Okay. How do you assess success in your youth ministry? Y'all tell me. I used to, I think I used to do it based on numbers until I finally learned from my wife that even if there's one kid that shows up, that's one kid that can be benefited from that one event. So I've had to really try to train myself not to look at it as a numbers perspective. It's just if that one kid grows in any aspect at that one event. Larry, we had a similar experience in Winfield uh, when we got there. The the ministry really wasn't growing. We had a youth rally we were going to. We got there and there were two kids that showed up to go. 
out of a potential of 20 or 30. You know? And one of the dads who brought the kids down there said, uh, well, nobody's going to show up. You might as well just not go. I said, uh-uh. <laughs> We're going. And it's a good thing that we did because I had another parent come to me and say, how come you're not planning any activities for my kid's age group? Right. Pulled out the youth calendar and said, well, we had one here, 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 and here. Your kid didn't come, but we had the activity. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very, said, very much so. She'll be at the next one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes uh, sometimes they need to see it in front of them. You know, sometimes their child comes home and says, we don't do ever do anything. Mm-hmm. And since nobody listens to announcements, uh, they may actually believe we don't do anything. <laughs> Guys, how do you measure? That's two very good things. I think a lot of times we get so worried about what the others think that we end up measuring it the same way they do. Mm-hmm. Well, you want to keep your job. <laughs> Back in the dark ages when I was a youth minister, Greg, it was, are these teens spiritually maturing? Are they, are they more mature this year than they were last year? Right. And, and the thing is, what's tough is, I had a good friend of mine that went through a youth ministry hiring process in the congregation. And he's a guy that's very deep. And he wants kids to go deep in God's Word. And I think he does a very good job. And as he went through this process, what the reason he finally told them no was, they said, listen, we've got to be able to compete with the churches next door. And you've got to have a program that's as flashy and as big and all these different things. And it's got to be as fun. Some of y'all have heard that. Now, I, I had a, uh, somebody con- uh, in a congregation somewhere further than 500 miles away from here um, that we would have our vacation Bible school, and then one parent would come up and tell us how much more fun the kids had at a denominational Bible school. And I said, well, if I didn't care what God's Word said, we'd have more fun too. Um, <laughs> I've heard that more than you ever know. But I just think, all right, you're, you're right. What was great about her was she was an elder's daughter, but the elder agreed with me on stuff like that. And so she would go complain to him about how horrible I was, and it would it would make my job security that much more. <laughs> I think we can get caught up in every one of these. I think it's really tough. And I'm going to tell you, parents are tough. I'm going to share something with you today. Uh, I have it in here somewhere. Let me come back. Many times they want to measure by how many people you baptize, right? You get to count the kids you baptize at 9 and again at 15 twice. If we're counting numbers. We could do 9, 12, and 17. Same kid three times. We had a guy the other night, benevolent case, came in. I knew something was up. Walked through the back door. He's talking on the phone. Kept leaning in. It was on Wednesday night. This is all tour. And he goes, dude, I got to go. There's a song saying, I got, I got to go. He walks through the back door and walks all the way to the front row. Somebody else started devotional. I went up there and he said, man, I was baptized at this age for the wrong reasons. He started quoting the Bible. I'm like, this guy knows the Bible. I spoke to him a few minutes, and he wanted. Uh, you know, we we went back and forth. He knew every answer. He went back to get changed, and somebody was visiting from another congregation close to us that saw him be baptized four months ago. 
And they came up to me and said, man, they told me that. So I knocked on the door and I said, man, uh, my friend baptized you four months ago. He goes, I know. And that was for the wrong reasons too. <laughs> I would agree. You need to talk to our elders for a little while. And he did. We hear that. And if we're going to count our baptisms, how many do we count? Do we count the ones that God recognizes? We recognize? How do we do that? Other people, it's by attendance. I wish we had eight people that gave $33,500. <laughs> that church is a success. <laughs> Some people, it's by how many youth activities you have. How many kids go to camp? Some of your churches are camp people. Some of them are CYC people. They go, they measure their church, their their value on. We had, I've heard church say, well, we had 50 people go to CYC last year. We only had 28 this year. Something's not going wrong. They use that as a measuring stick. Church camp horizons, whatever else. Some of it, guys, you know how to keep your job. You get all the young people to sit up front and not make a fool of themselves. Because if the old people see all the young people sitting up in the first few rows, oh, it does wonders for them. They love it. They do. You, you know this. They love that. How many kids are leading in worship? Now, we're successful because we have young men who serve on the Lord's Supper table. We're doing our job. I'm glad young men serve on the Lord's Supper table and pass trays out. We're successful because some, I've heard people say they walked away from your church. Can you believe that? They used to serve on the Lord's Supper table. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard that, haven't you? If you hadn't, you haven't been around long enough. You will. <laughs> they used to do this. They used to do this. And we, we manage by the things like we teach them in last leaders. Do they lead singing? Do they speak? Whatever else. And we go through. I, I think about a young man who won last year's <coughs> song leader probably every year he did. And he's an incredible musician. He is in the bluegrass field. He's as good as it gets. He was one of the most immoral kids you've ever met in your life. I knew him. He didn't worship with us. He and I, we played music together. I, I was 25, he was 16, and I sat down and realized this kid's a beast on guitar, banjo, whatever he put in his hand. And every time he went down there, he won. Why? Because he is that good. But I also knew how he treated young ladies. And what happened is the other kids in the group, because the church would pull them up and say, so-and-so won, we're going to let them do this. And the kids are going, this kid's immoral today as long. Because that is not the measure of what we have. The measure that we should use, in my opinion, to assess our youth ministry is how many of our kids are starting to look like Jesus. Amen. Are they becoming disciples? One of the problems we have in this uh, is parents. Because our vision for ministry and our parents' vision for ministry many times are, are very different. I found this article. Let me see if I had it right here. No, I'll come back to it. I ripped you off, JD, but I'll go back to it. I found this article by a guy named Mike Yakinelli. Mike was, uh, I think, president of youth specialties at one time. And, uh, after, um, after he passed away, his kids published a book of his essays, and it was called Getting Fired for the Glory of God. Because he talked about how many times he'd been let go. 
He said, because science parents would get very upset with me. And when he died, he was at a little big congregation of about 40 people. He said, I loved it more than anywhere I've ever been. He did an interview. And this is uh, what was said. Mike, what is the biggest obstacle to effective youth ministry? He answered, parents. Strange, isn't it? The people who most benefit from our ministry with their children are often the ones who create the most grief for our ministry. Why are young people stressed out? Parents. Why are young people obsessed with education, good grades, SAT scores, scholarships, college, college prep, pre-SATs? Parents. Who encourages many of our young people to miss church, <coughs> Bible study, camp, or service project because of a football game, hockey practice, cheerleading clinics, gymnastic tournaments, and dance class? Parents. Who supports our ministries until their child has a negative experience or is disciplined or is injured or doesn't like the youth group or doesn't like the counselor or doesn't like the new sponsor or doesn't like the way the youth group is being run? Parents. Who complains to the minister, the elders, the deacons, the youth committee when something goes wrong? The bus broke down, it rained and flooded the tents in a service project, somebody was hurt, but never goes out of their ways to affirm and encourage when the ministry is going well. That would be parents. Who automatically takes their child's side on any issue their son or daughter is upset about? Parents. Who has taught their son or daughter that deadlines, rules, and boundaries, and covenants are to be kept, unless they aren't kept, and then it's not a big deal, or it's too harsh, or it's not clear, or it's not fair, or it's not understood, or too strict, or broken by everybody else, or should have been approved by the pulpit preacher? Parents. Who complains that the youth group has too many programs? Parents. Who complains that the youth group does not have enough programs? The same parents when their son or daughter doesn't have enough to do. Who doesn't talk to their children about sex? Parents. Who expects youth ministers to talk to their children about sex? Parents. Who complains when the youth workers talk about sex or is too explicit? <laughs> same parents. <laughs> Who doesn't talk to the children about faith? Parents. Who complains when their child is not interested in faith? Parents. Who complains when the preacher, elders, to the preacher, other adults, or church leaders, when the wrong kinds of kids show up at the youth group? Who's worried about the potential negative influences these wrong kids could have on their right kids? Guess who? Parents. Who believes a youth group exists to create nice kids who meet and marry other nice kids who grow up to meet other nice kids in the youth group? Parents. Who's the first to ask for your head when you encourage their children not to worry about college and to worry about calling instead? When you suggest that the young people don't gavel out for sports? When you suggest that following Jesus may cause young people to be countercultural? Parents. Who is all in favor of the young people becoming serious about their faith? Parents. As long as they don't take Jesus too seriously. Taking Jesus too seriously means altering their parents' plans or vacation schedules. Or causing their parents to change their lifestyles or worse, mom and dad's dream for their children. So Mike, are you anti-parent? No. Are you at all saying, parents are saying all parents are like this? No, not at all. Just most of them. So are there any exceptions? Certainly, but very few. 
That's very pessimistic. Yes, it is. What about family ministry? My favorite quote in the whole thing. I'm all for it. And there just aren't many families doing it. Which is why youth ministry is so very important. But to be honest, family ministry isn't biblical anyway. Do what? Jesus himself told his disciples that he came, that when he came, he'd be the reason that some families break up. Jesus himself, and following him, said that he may cause conflict between family loyalties and loyalty to him. When this happens, to choose him. Jesus is all for the family until it gets in the way of following him. Our job is not to make families better. Our job is to encourage everybody in the family to take Jesus seriously. No matter the cost. Even if the cost is family harmony. No wonder parents are often the biggest obstacle in our ministry. No wonder our job security isn't that great. No wonder youth ministry is a dangerous calling. But it's a rewarding I found that and it's sitting on my desk for years before I ever read it to our congregation. Because when I read it, it was exactly the way I felt at that moment. And you know as well as I do, you have some of the best parents in the world at your congregation. All of us did, don't you? You have some parents who love God and they model Jesus in their life. You have some that do not. And what's tough is when the parents' vision for ministry doesn't match our vision for ministry. We have to realize our vision for ministry must be God's vision for ministry. And what He has called us to make, according to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is disciples. A disciple is a follower. Very simply, he is a follower of Christ. And when I think about this, when we look... If you want to look and assess your youth ministry, if you want to look and say, okay, I want to see what my youth ministry looks like, then do you see this in your kids? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. <coughs> when you see kids doing this, you see them, as Tim talked about back in the dark ages, when somebody has this, we would say they're maturing in their faith, wouldn't you? When we see this, I think one thing that's tough for us is that uh, we have to realize we're dealing with kids. And they're not going to mature at the same rate that we think they should sometimes. And they're going to fall down. We're at a congregation that has 30 babies under 3 years old. We are loud. I preached, a series, I preached one sermon on 1 Corinthians 7 and how married people are having sex. And over the next 12 months, 13 months, we had 13 babies. Okay? Yeah. Concord Road just had me come speak on it there. We will have a countdown to see what happens there over the next nine months. But we've got awesome little kids. Every Tuesday we have ladies' Bible class and there's a uh, we offer free babysitting. We have two or three ladies come over, and I'll go down and play with the kids. And there's some in there that can walk and can't walk, some talk, can't talk, all these different ages. And, and I just can't imagine going up to one who can't walk and screaming and yelling at him, why can't you walk? Because <coughs> he's not there yet. 
you're going to baptize a lot of kids who are younger and, and probably ages 8, 9, and 10. One of the reasons they choose to be baptized is because they can do math real good. Hearing plus belief plus repentance plus confession plus baptism equals salvation. Now, they don't necessarily understand faith. They don't necessarily understand counting your cost. But they all know they don't want to go to hell. And that's a good thing for them to know, by the way. But part of them maturing, and we want them to mature, is if they become Christians, we want to start seeing this in them. And while I'm at it, we will never see this in them until they see this in you. I didn't become critical of youth ministers when I became a preacher. I was pretty critical of them and myself when I was a youth minister. Please don't be just another giggling idiot. I hear uh, elderships all the time talk about they'll let go of a youth minister who finally has done it long enough to know how to do it. Okay, y'all with me? They've done it long enough to know how to do it and do it well. And they'll decide to make a change if somebody who can relate to kids better. I think a youth minister uh, gives kids something to look up to and something to try to aspire to be. Amen. You know, I was a youth minister from age 25. I, I did a ton of internships and stuff, but I was full-time from 25 to 37. And all that time, I needed to show them what a 25-year-old Christian man looked like. I needed to show them what a 26-year-old Christian man looked like all the way through. That may confess my faults sometimes, tell them I failed, starting over. But, uh, and there's nothing wrong being, being funny, funny and being silly. I mean, that's part of cutting up. But I see too many guys who just want to be cool. And if you're trying to be cool for kids, if you try to be cool, you know what, what that says about you? You're not. Okay. And all the skinny pants in the world won't make you that way. <laughs> Kids need to know you love God and you love them. And loving God means loving His Word, means loving His church. And when we look at this, they need to see this in you. They need to see a maturity through you to help show them who Christ is. When I think about this, when we first become Christians, uh, I, I think our mature, we mature in different ways as we're following Christ. Many of us come to Christ because of fear. We don't want to go to hell. I was baptized at a young age. My uncle got up and preached a sermon called A Joy, A Journey. It wasn't a joy. It was a journey through the halls of hell. And I thought the pew was on fire. I smelled smoke. I sat there afterwards and I was in a little church of Satello, Tennessee and everybody went forward except for about eight of us. It was Mississippi Squirrel, okay? <laughs> My uncle could not get out of the baptistry. I know he baptized at least nine. And everybody else had gone forward. I, I, saw, I saw people run down the aisle. I've only seen that a couple times in my life. And those people came to God that night because they did not want to go to hell. I don't need it, by the way. Some people serve God out of that fear, but the thing is, that won't last forever. 
Some people serve God out of the call of duty. Well, why do you give? I give my income every week because God told me to give my income every week. I don't like it, but I give it because I have to. Why do you sing? Well, I really don't want to sing. But I'll sing, sing, and be happy and be unhappy while singing it because God commanded me to sing it. <laughs> that may last, but it'll never be joy, a joyful walk with God. We serve out the burning love for God. By the way, you need to know that's maturity. You know, most many times we start with fear, we move to duty, and hopefully we walk with love. And I sit there and think about that's what we want our kids to get here. Where they walk a life with God because they see the great love He has for them. Romans 5.8 is a beautiful verse. I can't remember if it's the message. It's one of the paraphrased versions. But it says where it says that God loved us while we were at our darkest. I read a quote by Tim Keller this week. It says, basically, we will not never understand the love of God and the grace of God until we, like Paul, understand this about ourselves. We are the worst sinner we know. When we realize we're the worst sinner we know, we see how much God loves us, that He can save me, He can save anybody. If you're thinking somebody's the worst sinner than you are, then you probably missed the boat. Okay? And when we're evaluating and assessing, we want to see these kids get here. Now, here doesn't necessarily mean they go on every mission trip. Here doesn't mean they go on everything and do everything. But you see the fruit of the Spirit in their life. You see a, a burning desire for God in their life. You see them not quit. You see them minister to other people. This is a maturity thing. I think this is something... Uh, that I think would help when you think about how we move from one to the other. The difference between being part of a religion and being part of a relationship with God and walking with God. Being part of a religion says, if I obey, I'm accepted. Being part of the gospel says, I'm accepted, so I obey. Religion says, if I'm good, God will love me. Gospel says, I am bad, and Jesus loves bad people. He came to do what? Seek and save what? Really good people who just weren't baptized yet? He came to seek and save the lost. Religion says all bad, all people are good and bad. Gospel says all people are repentant or not. There's a difference. Religion says the focus is on what I do. The gospel says the focus on what Jesus did. The religion says it produces pride and despair. Why? Because if I'm doing well, I am awesome. If I fail, then I am. Everything is so bad. Why? It's based on me. I'll tell you, if I realize I'm the worst sinner I knew and God saved me, that will bring about humility. It also brings about a confidence to walk with Him. One brings about I'm motivated by fear. Now, fear is a good motivator for a while, right? You know, that, that's one of those things. We, we know that. You know, that's uh, God put in us a fight or flight response because sometimes we should run off I had a dad my dad was my dad's hilarious and as a little kid um, 
my brother's five years younger than I am. He's probably about five years old, which made me ten. And he pulled us aside, and he pulled my little brother in, and, and he said, Luke, I'm going to tell you something. He said, there's going to be people in your life that may try to hurt you. Now, if somebody tries to hurt you, you run as hard and as fast as you can, you get away from them. If they catch you, you'll have to do something about it. And he hugged him and left the room. He came up and said, Craig, you're never going to outrun anybody. <laughs> kids here, the world can't stop them. Yes, John David went through this in his class. Um, this is a neat book. Andy Stanley and Stuart Hall uh, came together uh, and talked about seven checkpoints, what they want to see in their kids as far as maturity. He wants to see them have authentic faith, spiritual disciplines, moral boundaries, meaningful friendships, wise choices, ultimate authority, and people who put others first. I think that's a pretty good list of what you want to see. If you're evaluating, you sit there, all right, do I see a child who has authentic faith that's serving God out of love? Do I see somebody who, without prompting, can sit down and, and will spend time with God and allow God to speak to them? Do I see somebody with moral boundaries? Do I see somebody who has a distinct right and wrong? Do I see somebody who, who has friendships and people who help build them up? See, I, I will tell you about me coming here this weekend. I didn't know what this conference would be. But I knew who was going to be here. Some of my best friends in the world are here. I knew I would meet people this week that would be a blessing to me, and hopefully it would be you know contacts I would have. It, it, I, I received some encouraging notes by people who were going to be here. And I think about those friendships. When we see kids make those friendships at last, we see them make wise decisions and start to learn from poor decisions. That's part of wisdom. We see that they see God as the ultimate authority in His Word and put others first. The question comes down to, if you want to assess your youth ministry, are people seeing Jesus in the youth that you lead? Now, just for a second, can you think of a child you've seen their life change? To where you see that they are living like Christ and doing the best they can? It's awesome when you see it, isn't it? How many of y'all done youth ministry less than two years? Okay, got one. Less than five years. Less than ten. More than ten. When you start hitting that ten-year mark and older, it's awesome when you get that call from that kid. And she says, you know what? I decided to go to China for a year and do mission work. I know I've got a degree in something, but you know what? I want to go there, and I want to help lost people. When you have that kid call you and be like, you know what? They just asked me to be the deacon over youth in our congregation. And as you stay in it, you start to see that. You will have your heart broken. There was a movie a, a few years ago. Uh, Kevin Costner was in it. 
he was a rescue swimmer. And uh, he was somebody who uh, saved lives. I mean, he went into the worst things you can imagine. Uh, and uh, Coast Guard would drop him off. He would have to save people. And people always wanted to know what his number was. And that was, how many people have you saved? At the very end of the movie, the guy who was going to be his protege, the guy who's taking over for him, said, what's your number? What's your number? And he said, like, 22. He's like, oh, okay, that's good. He goes, no, that's how many I lost. I don't keep up with the rest of them. Many times in ministry, we're the same way. I think it's time, it's time for us, a good time for us to focus on assessing our ministry and think about the kids who do look like Christ. Because you're probably succeeding a whole lot more than you think you are. Because you know why? You are planting the seed of God's Word in people's souls. You are planting that Word, and guess what? God's Word doesn't return back to Him void. It's something powerful as you spread that, and some of it will not take hold today. Now, I say stuff that's humorous from time to time. And there are some stuff people get automatically. And some people I say, you're going to get that tomorrow on the way home. It's a grenade. You're going to be driving down the road and bust out laughing and go, I got it. Yeah, I got it. You know why? Because I always know there's slow people in audience. I always know that. Uh, I know that some people take some a while to process. Um, some of your kids are going to take a while to process what, you, what they've seen and what, they, what you have done. But it's going to be incredible when they do. Because you're planting seeds. And you have an ability to do that. When you think about communication, communicate often, communicate well. Can I tell you this also? Be somebody who uh, communicates positively with your kids. Tell them often how much you think of them. And when you compliment them, compliment them on their walk with God and be specific. I loved the other day when I saw Jesus and you and that person, the person who was visiting, that you walked over and were the first person to talk to them. Mike Webb, a very good friend of mine, a few years ago at Freed Harbor University was speaking at the youth ministry's workshop there. And he read a letter that was written to him by Kevin Darby. Kevin was his youth minister and has been forever at Sycamore in Cookville. And it was a letter that Kevin wrote him when he was in high school that talked about everywhere he saw Jesus in him and he knew that through his life he would always make a difference for Christ and he would be a minister. That came because of a positive communication from him to the kids. Some of you will transfer out of jobs. Most people aren't youth ministers in the same place for a long time. Uh, sometimes you get moved, sometimes you choose to move. If you choose to read The Problem of Parents, have you already? Okay, that's something that you have to earn the right to say. I think I, I was there 10 years before I read it. But if you leave, communicate with the kids and families how much you love them, how much they should love God. When I left Calvert City after, 10, after 11 and a half years, one thing that I chose to do was I wrote every kid in the youth group a letter. And I waited until they hired the next guy. And as soon as they hired Austin and Brianne, 
I wrote and said, and I, I trusted them. I helped recommend them. I was very happy they hired them. But I wrote in there, you are going to be blessed. I built up those people. I built up the eldership. I encourage them to walk with God. I tell every youth group I've ever met and talked to, if you've heard me speak, I say everybody, there's something people need to know every day about themselves. You are precious. There's only one you. God made you precious. You are valuable. The greatest price ever paid in the world was paid for you. You are needed. There is a job here on earth, and God is entrusting you to do it. And you are loved. And I told them that and promised I would said, I will do whatever I can to help you and bless you. Communicate with your kids. Communicate positively. Those notes will be stuff they hold on to. When it comes to assessment, there's going to be tons of different assessment tools. Ask yourself after events, the whole SWAT deal. You know, go through and, and, and say, all right, was it success? What's our weaknesses? Our strengths, weaknesses. Let's, let's look at our opportunities. Let's look at our threats, and let's just keep on rolling. But when it comes to when I look at ministry, are the people, the kids coming through my youth program, do they look like Jesus when they leave? And when I'm saying look like, in other words, you see it in the way they treat God's Word, you see it in the way that they live, you see it in the way they treat other people. I think if we can do that, I think we can make a big influence. Any questions before we close? What was the name of the article? The problem of the problem of parents. Mike Yakinelli. That's right. Uh, that's his name. This is his book. It was public. he got killed in a motorcycle wreck. I think he had a heart attack, then died on a motorcycle. Um, and his his son and uh, went through and took a collection of his articles and put them all together in a little little bitty book. And uh, it's in there. But if, if you Google it online with his name, you'll find it. You'll find it. Also, in doing this, don't ever get it's me versus the parents. It's you versus the devil. Okay? And you want to make sure that you do everything you can to walk people toward Christ. Any other questions? Please come back tomorrow. We'll talk about uh, youth program versus youth ministry. And, uh, and uh, we'll finish this up. Thank you for being here. Let's pray as we, we finish up. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today. You are great, and you are mighty, and you are awesome, and you are powerful. God, you have uh, blessed us and entrusted us with something very precious, and that is souls. Lord, help us to have a ministry that is about you, that is about teaching children to love you, and your word, and your church, to love lost people and to live in a way that reflects you to this entire world. Please be with everybody in here, Lord, all the ministers, their, their families, everybody here. Lord, give them the strength. Lord, those who are struggling right now, strengthen them, help them know that they're doing the greatest work there is. And help bring them through. And help them to see the results of what they are doing for good. Lord, we pray that every child grows up to know you. In Christ, we pray. Amen.